Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Salt Lake 2002 Retrospective Podcast, a back-of-house look at the planning and delivery of the Salt Lake 2002 Olympic Winter and Paralympic Winter Games, as told by the very people who organized them. I'm Christian Napier, and today I'm joined by one of the best project managers I've ever had the pleasure to work with, Natalie Moldover. Natalie, how are you? Hi, Christian. I am doing great. Thanks. Great compliment. Oh, well, it's well-deserved, and thank you again so much for coming on and doing this a second time. We had some technical challenges for the first time we did this interview, so I appreciate your patience. Sure, sure. Well, Natalie, I see that you're in your home, it looks like. You're in a home office. Where is home for you? I live in Salt Lake City, Utah, uh, on the east side near the University of Utah. I've been here for, my husband and I figured it out today, about 14 and a half years we've been in this house, so... Well, that's a beautiful area of the Salt Lake Valley to be a part of. So well done on that. What are you doing these days? Are you working from home? Are you working from your office? What's your current situation? I've been working from home for, I'd say, since the end of last year. I had the flu, a really bad flu, and I just decided to stay at home. My husband had some health issues and I thought it would just be better for me to stay home and just make sure that everything was good day to day. As long as I have an Internet connection, I can do my job. And in fact, I I give them a whole lot of time (laughs) because I don't have to drive across the valley, prepare lunch and all of that. So it's easy to just walk down here to my basement and get started. So I'm still a project manager. I really enjoy that kind of work with uh, engineers developing solutions to business problems. This time around, it's not in, uh, obviously not in the Olympics, but it's in banking. It's where I started my career uh, many decades ago, and I'm hoping to end my career with this bank, this local bank that I work for. Well, it sounds like you've come full circle then. Exactly. That's That's exactly how I looked at it. All right, Natalie, let's wind that clock back a few decades, as you said, um, to your first foray into banking. How did you go from banking to the games? Oh, there were many, many leaps in between, Christian. Number one, uh, I moved here from, I moved to Salt Lake City from the San Francisco Bay Area. I was working in retail, grocery, and drug. And I I had an opportunity to move to Utah. I took it and my daughter and I came here and it, it so happened. I was working for American stores. They're the, they're the ones that brought me here and they ended up in a merger in 1998 or 1999, something like that. And I was just, I think it was 1998. I was just bored out of my gourd. I, I don't like not being productive at work. And I just started looking through the paper. <laughs> and I, I saw a position for a project manager and it talked about the 2002 Winter Olympics. And so I applied for it. And I was really fortunate to interview with really wonderful people. I, I interviewed with Alice Mahmood and Elmer Benitez. And that's what brought me to the Olympics. So um, banking was a long time ago in New York City. Then after college and and uh, banking there in, in the city, I moved to California and worked for uh, retail, grocery and drug. 
came brought me here and that's how I I was able to just because I could not stand not being able to work fully and contribute fully I I knew I needed to find something different and so that's how I got to the Olympics this was in 1999 I started with the Olympics I want to go back to finding an ad in the newspaper <laughs> It seems like so long ago when we had physical newspapers Mm -hmm. that were printed on paper. They still are. A lot of people, all of the purists will still say there's there's newspapers that are still printed on papers, but I prefer to consume mine over a device. So for right or wrong. Most of us these days, we do prefer to consume these on our devices. Right. Not very many people still subscribe to the physical copies of the paper. I was a holdout for many, many years, but I guess I'm guessing maybe around 2016, 2017, I finally gave up the, I I gave up the habit of getting the physical newspaper delivered to my doorstep. I think I was the only person in my neighborhood that was still getting the paper. It's interesting that you mentioned that you got this ad in the newspaper and you responded to this ad and that's how you got this position because many of the people that we've talked to so far on this podcast, that's how they found their job is through an ad in the newspaper or uh, an ad online, right? which I found interesting because most of them didn't seem to come in through connections, but they came in through these advertising. And that's what I've heard. I've heard a lot of folks go from games to games. And it's through networking. It was definitely not networking for me. <laughs> yeah, same here. Uh, I, I went on to monster.com, saw an ad for a position for Solid 2002, and that's how I found out about it. Right. So you come in as a project manager. What were you managing? What projects were you managing? I came in as a games management systems project manager. And what that meant was that uh, first I got really busy really quickly. (laughs) I have to to give that little plug. Um, I went from not having a lot to do on one job to traveling and learning all about the different systems within the suite. And games management systems covered pretty much the operational systems for the games Versus the games time systems, the timing and scoring and so on. And so I worked on developing these systems that were used for a number of the functional areas like accreditation, arrivals and departures, village accommodations, protocol, transportation, sports and staffing. Uh, So what that really meant is that working closely with our partner, um, SEMA, they developed the software. Actually, they developed the software that was used at a few games. It was uh, last used prior to the 2002 games at the Sydney 2000 games, and then they brought the suite here. So, um, so working with all of the functional managers, we we developed the requirements for SEMA to then code the. The solution, you know, it, it always has to be customized in a way, right? Uh, for the local games um, and how how things happen here, how we connect with each other, and so on. So, so that was my role. It was a lot of fun, a lot of work from like day one. <laughs> well, it's so interesting, Natalie. 
you come in around three years before games time and you're super busy already kind of jumping in head first into the deep end to get things ready for 2002, a a person that's outside, uh, an outsider who's not familiar with the games would be like, what do you need so long to get all these systems ready for? Why do you need three years to get an accreditation system ready? And yet when you're in it, it feels like you don't have enough time. Correct. And it's true. And you speak about the accreditation system. That was the heartbeat pretty much. A lot of the systems tied into credentials because for one thing, a lot of people don't even know this. The credentials were the um, were the, the visa, the entry visa into the United States for athletes, officials, and so on. So that had time that we had to work with the State Department, I believe that's the right group, to actually define what the requirements were for 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 that. Um, you know, we had to work on transportation. Um, it, it was just, oh, and I forgot medical, medical, the medical system. You know, at for the for the most part, athletes and officials got medical care when they were here, not just at games time, when if they got hurt in their sport or what have you, but you know, sometimes prior to the games when they'd come and they're prepping. They would sometimes get um, some services done um, ahead of time. So it was the heartbeat. And you had to have the credentials to be able to get to that service. I appreciate you mentioning that, Natalie. Speaking of the medical, that's something that not many people know is uh, people from particularly from developing nations or poor countries they can take advantage of the healthcare services that are provided during an Olympic Games at the Poly Clinic at the Village, for example, to get a lot of routine care done or dentistry done that they uh, normally otherwise they wouldn't be able to get in their country. True, true. I I realized that when I was in Sydney, and you know, talk about twenty years ago. Actually, um, I was in Sydney in 1999. And then in 2000, so in 1999, when I started with the Olympics, I went there to see how they were using the different um, uh, applications within the suite. And when I was going through, um, when I was going through the the medical, I saw it was paper. So I was going through paper, and why is it? Why am I seeing the same type of services over and over? And the games haven't even started. And someone explained that very thing to me. A lot of times um, athletes don't and officials maybe don't have access to these type of services, like you say, dentistry or maybe eyes, getting their eyes checked and glasses. I mean, that's that's light years for them. That was really wonderful to see, a little bit of heartbreaking, but it was wonderful to learn that that was actually available. Uh, to to folks coming into the country. Well, that's really interesting. You got an opportunity to go down to Sydney a couple of times. I did. What was the experience like for you going down to Australia to observe both the preparation and then the delivery of the games? I loved it. First of all, I love that it was such a walkable city. I I remember to this day, I love Darling Harbor. I loved um, the, I think it was the Ultima, I, if that's the area where the organizing committee was located. I tried to walk to work and f- to and from work every day, because once you get there, you're sitting, you're talking, you're interacting. 
Um, so I, I love that. I love that it was a, a beautiful, walkable city. I also, I, I don't know if I, I think I did mention this to you. I love the fact that Vegemite was offered at breakfast every, every day, these little tiny bottles of Vegemite. I think I brought back a bunch of them because it was not repulsive to me. <laughs> I must say that I think uh, because I'm Jamaican, I think um, I was fed Marmite, which is the English version of Vegemite as a child. And so when I tasted it on toast, it's like, well, this is fine. It's it's not sweet like jelly, but it was it was it was a, a taste that I, I think I remembered. So you acquired that taste at a younger age. <laughs> exactly. Whereas your counterparts. uh they're from Salt Lake coming down there probably for the first time. It was a bit of a shot to their taste buds when that Vegemite hit it. <laughs> it's just a salty. That's all. It's a savory. <laughs> so I did. I really enjoyed uh, Sydney. I love the people. I love talking to people. While, you know, if I went shopping or in the offices, I love the accents. Um, I could never pull off that accent. So I never tried. And so it was it was lovely to be there. I loved I'd love to go back. I just have not made the time. And hopefully sometime in the future when things allow us to once again travel. Yeah, you talk about the accent. It's immediately distinguishable. But for me, I cannot replicate it. No. And my wife says, man, I really wish you had an accent because I speak this plain old boring Utah English. And I have tried to do the British accent or the Australian accent, and I just, it just, it I, I can't do it. it I can't work. do it. it I give props to actors that can pull those accents off. Exactly. But I, exactly. Yeah, I've tried, and every time I do it, my wife just looks at me like, uh-uh, don't, don't, not happening. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> nope, not happening. So you go to Sydney a couple of times, you see right. the experiences there, how the systems are used there. How did those experiences help inform the projects that you're managing after you came back? It was helpful to see the applications in action, because then when we worked with the the functional areas within the organizing committee, not that we would point out features, but it would help when they talked about their requirements, what they needed for it to do. We could also talk about, well, it, this is offered, this is available. You know, would you like to enact something like that into your business process for, for the games? So that was helpful to kind of see it beforehand instead of just understanding, okay, I want this. And for me, having if I had not seen it prior, I wouldn't know if what they were asking for was a complete stretch or it was totally in line with what the application offered. You know, I think it's interesting, something like technology project management in the games requires a tremendous amount of integration with various stakeholders and partners. So you've already mentioned SEMA. The timing and scoring system is usually provided by a partner. Then you've got to interface with the state department and all this kind of stuff. You got a lot of moving parts that are you got sure. to be juggling around. How did you how did you keep all those balls up in the air and keep them from dropping on the ground and shattering? You know, that's one of the things I'm really happy about. Um, even though I may not 
fully understand what this business process is or that business process. Once we got in and the SEMA folks understood the requirements and they would either say available or that's a big stretch and that's a lot of money to make customized changes for you. Once that's all um, understood, then it's a manage, a, a matter of working with the groups to understand, okay, what's going to get us to completion? What's going to get us to success? And then mapping those out and keeping an eye on any risks that may come up. It's just project management 101 and keeping a, an eye on the roadmap of where we want to go. We knew that by, I think it was September 2001, we had to be done. We had to be done with all of the applications in the hands of the functional areas. And I remember watching the credentials group, the accreditation group, they were printing um, credentials around the clock. So, you know, 24 hours a day, someone from, I think it was, I forget who the print, I know Kodak was part of the the group, but there was also a, a printing group that worked with us. And so they were working around the clock to print out these credentials so that they could get them to their constituents in a reasonable period of time before people started, before people had to get to the airport and, and get into the country. You know, coming back to this idea of these uh, teams that are formed, not just with your full-time slot staff, but you had all these contractors as well from SEMA, from the timing and scoring. I can't remember who it was back then. Um, I don't know if it was Xerox that was doing the printers or somebody else. That's who it was. Xerox. That's right. So you you got all these people uh, on this, on this team. And sometimes teams like that are difficult to keep together because you, you've got some people that are full-time staff and others that are contractors but at Slock, it felt like for the most part, those teams just integrated really well. And you ended up developing friendships with people on those teams from those uh, from those other other partners. Tell, tell me a little bit about how you were able to integrate the people you sure. know, from these various organizations and form one cohesive, well-performing team. I'll address it just in terms of how I like to live my life. You know, I love to work with people. I love the perspectives that they all bring to their jobs. I love the professionalism of it. And quite frankly, it was about the job, right? (laughs) There was no time to waste. I mean, yes, we did have a good time. Yes, we'd go on nice trips. We'd do a bunch of girls trips sometimes to Moab and, and, and other places. So we we found time to have fun, but the focus was always on the job. And I found that each of the teams that came together, whether it was the SLOC organizations that I worked with or the vendor, well, the vendor teams, the partners, they they everyone wanted success, right? I remember one of the the things that I I learned about early on in the games is we don't want technology to be in the news. (laughs) And how do we avoid doing that? We deliver a quality product. And, And it worked out. It worked out great. We were not in the news. If we were, it was for good things. So I love that. And in fact, the the team's that we worked with. I love the cohesion. Do you remember? I think it was on the 11th floor, Christian. We had all those flags and all, I think we counted 22 flags in technology 
technology alone, 22 countries represented um, for for us. And I remember buying uh, a Jamaican flag. It's in my, my living room right now. And just celebrating all of that diversity, the diversity in people, where they're from, whether it's United States or outside of the United States, you know, the camaraderie. We worked hard. We played hard. You know, not me personally. I'm not a hard player. (laughs) This is about as hard as I get a cup of tea. (laughs) But um, so the, the relationships have endured, I think, because of that shared relationship. I look at it now. Uh, someone who worked with SEMA, who worked closely with us um, uh, on the integration team, is still a good friend of mine. She lives in Barcelona, um, Lourdes Tiniana. Uh, the folks at Man that hired me are still in my life, still really good friends. You know, I have friends from the venue teams across the country that are still active in my life. We we spend a lot of time together, whether on the phone or when I am on the East Coast, I get to see them. I have friends in the Atlanta area that I see when I try to when I get there um, every so often because I have a family member there. So for me, it's it's really how I live my life. Christian is I bring in the fold and I try to keep people really close. So and I think that shows up in my work life as well, you know, just being open and understanding and Yeah, but at the end of the day, we really got to get this done. You hit on a couple of really great points there. I want to dive into them a little bit more. Uh, Number one is a project manager to be effective in that kind of environment, which can be very, very high pressure and it can be chaotic. You've got to have a real even temperament. So. Um, I'm curious if you had any situations throughout your tenure where you were about to blow your top. Like, I can't believe this is happening, but you maintained a calm exterior and everything was fine. But did you find any situations that were particularly challenging for you? And how did you address those challenges? It's a great question. I think the challenge for me was early on, when SEMA was really pressing all of the functional areas to work with them to get the requirements done, because, of course, you know, what needs to be coded for Salt Lake would take time. And early on, you're talking 1999, 2000, a lot of the functional areas hadn't even brought their teams on yet. And if they had, their system that they were going to be using prior to games time was not top of mind. It was getting their team in, getting them trained up, you know, get getting them to understand, you know, kind of like me. I've come in. I'm not a games person. I haven't done a bunch of games going from games to games and getting them to understand what it is that that they have to deliver. So that was uh, an early on challenge. And, you know, a lot of times Sema would push us and say, you know, we need this. We need this by this date. We need to work with this stakeholder you know, and that was that was a huge challenge. But we did we were able to make it. You know, I, I can't remember the details. I remember that to be a, a huge stressor. But we would get the right people in place um, to work with us to define the requirements so that they could go off and build. And then, you know, we'd come back and uh, validate that code um, before it was ultimately delivered. That was that was a huge, huge challenge I found. 
Well, talking about validating code, that actually reminds me of a story we talked about last time, which was testing. You got to tell us the story of conducting testing with your daughter. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, conducting testing of the SEMA code, we, I, I, I got to go to Barcelona a couple of times because of that, because we wanted to validate the code before it even got here. And one of the reasons why we, we got to, to travel to do that uh, testing overseas uh, was, I think it was a, a delivery that we took. And it coincided with taking you know, take your daughter to work day. And back then it was take your daughter. Now it's take your child to work. So I had my daughter. She was about eight or nine years old. And of course, I'm really happy to have a computer screen in front of my daughter because she was she was very active and wanted to get into everything. And so, you know, as the the SEMA leader would kind of walk us through the screens, I said, okay. Alex, you do the same thing. You do what she says. And, you know, I was working on something on my computer and she said, Mom, why, why is the screen blue? Oh, well, that's called the blue screen of death. <laughs> so let's record it. That's a defect. <laughs> so that's something that has to be fixed. So she got, she really tried her hardest to get it to continue to go blue, but it never, I think it did it just once for her. So your daughter is eight or nine years old. She's testing software. Does Alice Mahmood know that the integrity of the <laughs> systems are dependent on an eight or nine-year-old girl <laughs> testing the software? Exactly. I have my assignments at the end, but before we get to the end, any other interesting, uh, humorous, or inspiring stories that you want to share? I really love the girls' trips. The girls' trips were organized by Alice, thank goodness. And what they were, a lot of the the overseas, um, the, a lot of the overseas folks that came in to work on the organizing committee, they love the big houses in Bountiful and in Draper. <laughs> I mean, I'm a city girl, so I will always be in Salt Lake City, you know, even if the accommodations are a little bit smaller. And so, you know, these wives with their kids were in these far-flung places. And of course, the spouses, usually it's the husband, were working long, long hours. And so they, we would socialize every once in a while, and um, but they were pretty much relegated to these far-flung places. So Alice organized a couple of Moab girls' trips much to the chagrin of a lot of the husbands, because they thought they would be included. No, their wives were included. Women from technology were included. And even, I think maybe a couple of times, some friends of Alice may have come with us. And we, I got to explore Moab. I remember sitting down with Alice and just being overwhelmed in a five-minute conversation because of how much she knew about the place and how beautiful it was. And I'd never been there. And when I went true to, true to form. It was beautiful. I loved it. I fell in love with it. And it all made sense. All of the things that she had told me about and all of these women, they hiked their hearts out. They saw beautiful places. We got really connected as a group. Um, I remember going over a fin for the first time and being terrified, absolutely terrified. But, you know, it's like I, I, I mastered it. I went over one. 
I just wanted to say that during that trip, engaging with all those women and knowing that I still have relationships with a lot of them, it's like, it just warms my heart. It brings back so many great memories. I remember, in fact, on one of those trips, Sophia drove. She drove and, you know, we had a blast in the in the SUV that we were in for the few hours. So I, you know, for me, it's all connection, Christian. And that's why I love my time at the Olympics so much is I know people from 20 years ago and we can pick up our relationship at any point. We can talk, we can catch up just like you and I. I mean, you and I were on the same team and we're busy as all get out. But, you know, we still remember good things. We absolutely do. Yes, I do feel a little left out of all the girls <laughs> trips and didn't get to go to Moab, but that's OK. We we had uh, us us a gentleman. We we had a good time, I think. I don't remember actually right. doing much, all but, right. uh, but uh, it, it was all good. It was all good. I'm, and I'm with you. I think that for me, one of the most important legacies of the games are those relationships. Agreed. OK, let's get down to brass tacks here. Our assignments. First assignment is a song. Is there a song that whenever you hear it, it reminds you of your time in Salt Lake 2002? It just takes you right back to the late 90s or the early 2000s. I I love reggae music, of course. I'm Jamaican. And I love Bob Marley. And one of the songs that I remember hearing around that time, I mean, it was from way before that. One of the songs was called Three Little Birds by Bob Marley. Very uplifting, very upbeat, very hopeful. I loved it. All right. Three Little Birds, Bob Marley. Three Little Birds by Bob Marley. Perfect. We're going to take the Three Little Birds by Bob Marley. We're going to put that on our Spotify playlist. So on Spotify, we have a playlist called Salt Lake 2002 Retrospective. Anyone who has a Spotify account can go on there and they can see all the songs that everybody's nominated. Now, assignment number two, food. Any particular restaurants that you like to frequent during your time there at the organizing committee? I met a few of my friends for the first time at Cafe Trang. It's in the, it was, it's no longer there, but it was in the Crane Building on, I want to say, 2nd West or something like that. 2nd South, I don't remember. But it was over there by the post office. Just a beautiful little restaurant. Um, I think I met a couple of my friends there for the first time. We went to lunch a lot, <laughs> which was nice. A nice little break. Um, so, yeah, I, I enjoyed that. All right. Cafe Trang. On, on my website, we've got a map with all of the restaurants that everybody's okay. nominated. And it's not there, but I, I don't remember exactly where it is, but I'll find it. There are actually a couple of Cafe Trangs now. Right. So, so um um, you can go visit those. And the last question that I have for you, Natalie, give us a goosebump moment, you know, a really emotional, uh, impactful memory of the games. I remember how the city was just decked out. Um, there were those panel. I don't I didn't even know what those art things were on the side of buildings. Salt Lake City had looked it was just transformed. Downtown was transformed. And I love the the magic of the time. I loved going downtown at the time. I love seeing the different people, hearing the different accents, going to the different events. It was just warm. It was just heartwarming. It was freezing. 
outside. And the one nice memory that I have of the Olympics is the Olympics taught me how to be outside for a long time in the wintertime and be comfortable. You know, taught me, you know, how to dress, how to just have synthetics on from head to toe, have double everything on. And I could walk around for hours and just be comfortable with that. So I actually think about that when when it's wintertime and we want to go to see maybe the flowers on Temple Square or something like that or the lights downtown. I can be outside and it takes me right back to 20 years ago with the, the 2002 Winter Olympics. Our listeners can't see this conversation, but if they could, they would see right behind you. You've got a bunch of credentials, accreditations, badges that are hanging hanging there. Um, What was your role there during games time? During games time, I was a venue, venue manager, venue technology manager in a few locations. Uh, One of them was the, where I spent the most of my time was at the Uniform Distribution Center. That was just magical because you'd see the athletes coming in in waves. It's like a bus dropped off. A whole bunch of people would come through, pick up their gear. And it was so organized. I love that. Your size was ready for you. Your everything that you needed for your, your competition was ready for you. Um, so I did a lot of technology. So basically the technology that we, I worked on to deploy prior to the games, these were the locations that they were deployed to. So I would support the applications in these locations. One of the locations that I supported was at Fort Douglas. Fort Douglas had offices for like the Secret Service and so on. So we deployed the gateway computers to each of these locations And I remembered at the end of the games, our goal was to pick everything up and turn it back in. Well, the Secret Service packed up their equipment and took it back with them to D.C. So it's like, okay, I'll let my boss know. It's like, I'm not having that conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't blame you. Uh, I'm not going to be telling the secrets. Hey, hey, what are you doing there? No, it's fine. It's It's all good. It was already already gone. It's like, oh, okay. So I have a lot of memories, Christian. I just, I loved my time. It just seemed like it was over in no time. And once the game, the opening ceremony, and then all the competitions, and I got to go to competitions, you know, as my schedule allowed, and family members would come in from the East Coast, and I would be able to show them stuff. Once it was all over, it's like everyone disappeared. It was like, where did my friends go? I had to claw back and try to find people it was it was really difficult there for a while uh, for, for many people it was difficult emotionally because you yes. just came off this incredible yes. high of the games we pulled it off tremendous celebration and then it's gone and like yeah. you said people that you've been working with for two or three years all of a sudden they're Oof. not there anymore Oof. yeah I'm really glad I caught up with a lot of people. And the nice thing is that every five years we do have a celebration, which I love. And I go to each one of them. And uh, so I get to reconnect. Uh, I, I, I have another Jamaica question. All right. Did you have any opportunity to see the Jamaicans in action here I in Salt Lake? I did. I did the, uh, the Olympic. Well, I think the, ven- the venue at the university, the Olympic Village, I, I don't remember if I actually was assigned there or I just showed up because I could. 
Um, I remember being there when when the Olympic, uh, when the Jamaican bobsled team came through with their trainers and their officials. It was really lovely. I got to chat with a couple of them. It was really, it was really, really nice. Well, Natalie, thank you so much for taking the time to share your memories once again. I really appreciate it. If people want to reconnect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? I am on Instagram. I am on Facebook. I am on LinkedIn. All right. Instagram, and, Facebook, and, LinkedIn. And on on Facebook, there's actually a 2002 uh, previous employees uh, slot, previous employees page that Daniel Pacheco manages. And we we keep in touch in that way. Yes. And you actually introduced me to that page. And thank you for doing that because now... I've put the podcast there on that page. So everybody that's on that group is now aware of the podcast and hopefully listening to them. So I can't wait to make the time to listen to a few. I think it'd be wonderful. I hope you enjoy them. And I hope you listeners will like and subscribe to our podcast. Natalie, again, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.